Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. We've just played our 25th interview last week. You can check out all those stories on iTunes under Adoption Now. We have adoption stories from the DRC, Ukraine, Uganda, India, Liberia, U.S. foster care, U.S. private infant adoption. We have adult adoptees telling their stories. We even have a birth mother telling her story, and we're about to have the second birth mother on in a couple weeks. The purpose of our program is to give adoption a voice. It's a platform for families to share their experience. And every story shares a new perspective of adoption journey, of the adoption journey. And we're honored, really very honored to be a part of that and to be hearing these stories that have changed lives. Today we have a family on, they're going to share their story about adopting from Haiti. John and Alicia, thank you so much for being here. Sure, no problem. Yes, hi. Okay, so you have two biological children. What led you to adoption? Uh, We had friends that did foster care. And for me, I mean, our journey is different, I think. Um, I just felt like God really laid it on my heart. And as I was watching them, and I don't know, we had the resources, we had the space, the emotional space with two biological kids to bring in more children. And so um, I began to pray about it and just spent some time not talking to John about it. And I'm just, which was the first time I ever did that, kept it to myself. That's something that God and I were talking about and um, was just quiet and just kind of let it ruminate for a while. Um, So I feel like it was really watching other people and then just God and honestly, the Bible and what it talks about, you know, with orphans. How old were your children at this time, your biological I have no idea from the time that she wanted to adopt or the yeah, time that or I the time, we're good. Yeah, where when you started thinking about it, how Probably old Probably like four-ish. The, okay. Our biological kids are very close in age, so they're three and four, two and three, yeah. four and five, something like that. Okay, so when did you finally say something to John? I think uh, she said something initially, just, hey, I'm praying about this, but then after that, it wasn't much of a discussion. So, yeah, uh, until I... I don't know, it was probably three years or something like that where we'd watched something and I felt like it was kind of go time and she was excited. Okay, so at that point, your kids are seven and eight or seven and six? Yeah, probably. It was 2005, 2006 range. And why did you choose Haiti? Proximity to the U.S., um, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and... Um, just prayer and you, you'd watched a show on TV that had something about it, I believe, right? Yeah. At the time TLC had a story or had a show, it's called adoption story. And one of my friends told me about how they had seen it and it was kids from Haiti and my degree is in French and they speak French and was really excited about that connection. So I watched the little documentary and it was about the orphanage that we ended up adopting from. And so that was kind of, it was just a couple different things leading to it. And that's where we decided to do Haiti. And we were open to being a biracial family. Okay. So you had this connection. And so you decided, let's start the process now. Your kids were a little bit older and you got a home study done right away? Yes. No, we didn't. At the time, it was before the Haiti earthquake. At the time, you didn't have to, we did a home study. You didn't have to um, have an agency to adopt from Haiti. So basically I did all the paperwork and 
I know, crazy. Huh? What year was that? 2007, 2006. And it was here in Colorado? Six. Oregon. No, it was in Oregon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's so crazy. you did all the paperwork. So you really just needed to find the orphanage in mm-hmm. Haiti. Right. And we just worked with them and did the paperwork. And after a year and a half, we were able to bring him home. How long before you were matched? A couple months. Yeah, not long. It was pretty quick. Once they got our paperwork, it wasn't very long. Wow. Okay, so when you were matched, how do they do that? Did they send you a picture of, and it was a son? Did you say you wanted a son or did you? Yes, we did. We said we wanted a son. I was hoping maybe to have a kid that was not a baby. Um, I did not understand that even if you're matched with a baby in Haiti, that by the time they come home, they're going to be a toddler. Right, right. Um, So when we got the picture of him and he was two months old, um, and the very first intake picture of him is really, really sad. And so it was shocking to see. I just remember looking at him and thinking, how can a baby be angry? How can a two-month-old look angry? So He looked angry. Did you know any of his backstory? A little bit. Yeah, so they they take the application, um, and then they, they pray over it. And then they, based on... I guess hearing from God, they they match the family up with the, the kids, and um, when they do that, they submit the picture and then kind of a as much as they know of the about the child and the the family. Do you know um, how long he was there? Was he there at birth? Right, he came in at two months, three months. Yeah, three months. And so he had, you know, there was a period where we don't know what was happening because birth mom died at birth. Okay, and so he. The paperwork says, I think grandma and grandpa were taking care of him, and then maybe an aunt took him to work at her orphanage, and then he ended up at the orphanage we adopted him from. Okay, so you're matched to him. You saw the picture at two months. You're matched at about three months. And now what? You just wait? Yes. Then we had to wait. And so, yeah, it was 18 months. Paperwork. Waited 18 months? Did you see him? Did Were you able to? Nothing. No. So the first time we ever saw him was when we got there, and he was asleep on the couch in the family room at the in, in the orphanage and I picked him up he was asleep and I just held him and cried and you know I had no idea that at that moment honestly that I was traumatizing him you know like I was just so excited and right. I didn't did not have the education to think how scary for this little baby to go to sleep one way like in his crib or just on this couch where he hears all his normal sounds and then to wake up and there's this woman <laughs> like, who's crying right, and, like, in right. His face. and kissing him and right and then everything changes from that very moment for him right okay so at 18 months did you both go over there to get him yeah, yeah. yeah. okay were and what were your kids like were they excited what, what did yes tell me so we did everything domestically so we don't wait that long right what do you do in that time period? Pray. Lots of highs and lows. Yeah, it was because it, it, hard. It, you don't know when it's going to be. We got notified a couple days before we got on a plane and went down to Haiti. And throughout the months before that, there were times where it, there were possibilities of it not going through. Laws always change. Um, it's chaos. The it's whole chaos. adoption They lose your, your packet and then they find it and they lose paperwork and then they find it. And it's just it's crazy. So I remember it was like a Thursday night and I was at work and I saw the email or she saw it first. And we called 
or called each other and we started just jumping up and down. Oh, I was at the dentist. Yeah. I was about and we to get literally, to a like, shot in, in the mouth. Two oh. or, in two <laughs> or three days, we had flights, got the kids um, ready to go, drove down to California, flew Francisco from Portland and met my sister. And she took them for a, a few days so we could go to Haiti and pick up Jacob. So Everything it really is fast. just wait and then hurry up. Yeah, right. It's crazy. Yep. And so, in the eighteen months that he's waiting for you, were they prepping him? Were I mean, how do they treat him? Do yeah. you know? Well, yeah, we got to spend time. So when we went there, we stayed at the orphanage. They have guest rooms. Okay. And so we got to see what it's like um, at his particular orphanage. I mean, there's no way to prep an eighteen-month-old. I don't believe. You know, right. But um, I mean, do you think that they they fed him well and they treated him well? Oh, OK. Um, I mean, it's it's an institution. It's as good as an institution can be, especially in Haiti, I think. Um, it's limited. limited. I just the, I have a hard time because I don't understand that process of here's this orphan child that needs parents. You're matched at two months, three months. And then all this time goes by that you could be bonding with the child and you don't know, really know what's happening to the child and you're waiting to bring them home. And it's, it seems more traumatic the older, every single month, you know, they change yes. so much. Exactly. And so why is it like that? And and it's across the board right. for other countries. I mean, I'm not just asking you. I, I say that all the time is, yeah. why are we having these children match so so young and then waiting so long to see their parents? In my opinion, from what I understand about the mindset of Haiti, compared to many children, the children in the orphanage have it better off. And so in a way, this is just my take. In a way, I think that there's, first of all, bureaucracy, there's red tape, there's no rush because I think that, you know, looking around at all the chaos that is in Haiti, that these kids who are getting fed and who have a roof over their heads, they're doing better than a lot of the other children. And so, you know, the Haitian government's like, whatever, why would we rush? Right. But there's I just see. no rush. They don't, honestly, I don't, I don't know if they care. There's just so much loss and devastation in that country that this is just a little blip on the radar. Right. And there's no understanding about mental health. You bring up a really good point. If you're thinking of adopting overseas, it's really important to, to remember you got to think like the country. Don't take your American mindset because it's totally different in that country. The system is different. The way that they treat children is different. The way that they think about adoption is everything is different. So if you can understand that you know, and obviously it's not right or wrong. It's just a different mindset, like you yeah. said. And so what's the big rush? They're fine. They're being taken care of. You'll get them when you get them. Exactly. But bringing home an 18-month-old child, what was that like? Hmm. Huge change. Yeah. It was shocking. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was bad. on. It was tough on a couple different levels because not only is this little 18-month-old boy that didn't understand what was going on, but he also had severe uh, food allergies we didn't understand. Um, so he was gluten and dairy intolerant, which they didn't know and we didn't know. And so we were having so many issues. And then within the first month, Alicia got a parasite and was deathly ill. Oh, no. It was, it was really tough the first month or so. And then, you know, bringing him home to a new home and every night him just bawling. And no, you, you hold him, you do what you can. And he just, didn't really want to be held. He didn't want to be comforted. Yeah, he, he couldn't connect because um, he'd had loss at such right. an early age. So his connection was, was not good. And we didn't know how to handle it because we had two kids that were well bonded. And we thought we knew based on the books we'd read on how to parent really well. And here comes this little boy that 
needs much different love than what we knew how to give. So it was tough. How did that change your parenting? <laughs> we figured out we don't know everything <laughs> quickly. <laughs> it changed everything. For me, it took probably, I would say close to a year and a half to two years to realize that everything that I was doing as I was parenting him similarly to my biological children, that it wasn't working. I'm sure there were some things that were working, um, but there was a lot that wasn't. I mean, his having a brain that has been traumatized, the connections are not there the way that a brain that um, has been healthy and had met every need has been met. So as I'm, we did love and logic and um, my first counselor said, okay, well the love and logic isn't going to work because the logic part of his brain is not functioning right now. So what you're doing, I mean, the connection isn't there. So we got to come at it from a different way. You're just hitting home with me so much. You know, we brought home an 18-month-old child as well and fostered him for a while. And before that, I would have told you, that doesn't make any sense. Love is fine. Love is enough. You know, you just can just hug him. And and then you bring home this child. And really, it's hard to even explain to other people because you can't even fathom that an 18-month-old would um, be able to do that or, ha- or, or brain chemistry could change that much. And as a mom and as a dad, you're doing all these things that, you know, work with other children and then you're not, they're not working with him. And so you kind of feel like, am I failing? And is this ever going to get better? Was there a moment when things changed and how long did it, how long did you struggle with that? We're still working on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's 10 now, uh, eight years. Um, I would say in the last maybe two years He's really, really, really started to... He understands he's loved. Let us in. Even when he messes up. Yeah. His core identity wasn't that of uh, unconditional love, I think. He His... thought it was had to be earned. And uh, yeah, I remember one morning, and this was just probably four or five years ago. Um, he had done something, and Alicia was on the way to school. And Alicia was like, buddy, just go get in the car. I can't deal with this right now. And when she got in the car... He's in the back seat with just big tears. And he looked at her. Or she looked, he's, She's like, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay. And he goes, are you going to send me back to Haiti? Mm. And he's like seven. Remember that? I don't. There's a lot I don't yeah. remember, so honestly. So his core identity is that of rejection because mm-hmm. that's what he faced early on. Right. And then you're the parents who are responsible to try to overcome that right. and show God's love. And, right. um, and it's hard because you become kind of the punching bag. And you have to keep getting back up. How are the other two doing? Um, The biological kids? Yes. Yeah. I would say the oldest daughter, um, she has some distance uh, just because she's a girl. She doesn't play with him the way my son does, my biological son. Um, You know, so she's good. It was, I, there was lots of days where she would come to me and just, both of us would be crying because we're like, I, we're like, why, why can't he just accept this love that we're giving him? Um, so th- hers was more of an emotional process where my oldest son, <laughs> it was almost more like a physical process. You know, they would wrestle and he was really uh, the punching bag. He got mm-hmm. a lot of, um, emotional scars, but some physical scars too, as well as, Jacob's reaction was very intense and very quick. 
you know, he just would, um, He'll go from happy to flip, extreme, extreme anger. And yeah. Rage less than a second. My right. Son's not very perceptive and pushes maybe another button once too many times. He, he can instigate. Yeah. With the best of them. <laughs> what are some of those symptoms of a child that has gone through trauma? I mean, obviously all children in adoption have gone through loss. And one of the things that I've learned in the show is even at birth, when you get a child at birth, we have um, children in our home where you can see it. And you think, oh, if I just get them right from the beginning, everything's going to be fine, just like biological children. And not necessarily, even biological children that have suffered any kind of trauma, um, can you can see that trauma in the brain. So it's not just, I always hear, like, it's not just adopted children, it's not. But in this show, we really focus on helping families through difficult times. And so what are some of those, those signs that you see a child um, rejecting love? I think, do you mind if I go first? Um, I think that he doesn't make any sense, but there, it's almost like he wanted to prove his self-worth or his values, which are not to be loved, and wants to push you to that edge of saying, okay, I don't love you. I want to send you back. And uh, so, you know, it, it's almost like he expected that to happen if he if he pushed you far enough away. Um, it was just this rage that comes from slamming doors and stomping upstairs and one of the counselors, the best thing that she said was, how many doors are you willing to have slammed until he realizes he's in control of his his anger? You know, um, that was huge for us because I would try to stop him from, you can't slam the door. You're disrespecting my house. And that doesn't, he doesn't care. Right. <laughs> so. And in that moment, it's not worth the fight. I mean, who cares? What the therapist, the counselor saying, honestly, is really, do you care about the door? I mean, let's let's not make it about the door. Like, it's not okay for him to be slamming the door, and we hope that in time that that will, you know, it will go away. And it actually, it has. It has. It's a miracle. Yeah, but it's, the, he's passed it down. <laughs> so that's <laughs> his little sister. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> but yeah, basically, it, to let go of some of the things that for unacceptable behaviors, like mm-hmm. that is unacceptable behavior, right? Now we just try to not all the time, but we try to delay that consequence until he's rational. Right. So some of the things that you've changed about parenting is what's important, right? You know, but what are some other things that the therapist helped you with? Well, I want to talk real quick about regulation. Like when you're talking about a kid with trauma, that that, I feel like that Mm -hmm. is one of those things that is a a red flag. It's that looking back as I would watch Jacob and I was not really aware of what self-regulation looked like to see him. And this even goes to the door slamming, right? So he gets angry And instead of being able to walk away and even whatever, mumble or, you know, kick something or stomp or whatever, he would go to, you know, from zero to 60 and he couldn't regulate back to some type of a median place, Um, which now he does. Now his he's able to regulate more. But watching him as we would take him to let's say a birthday party or whatever everybody else leaves and they go back in the car and they drive home and the kid is you know can calm back down he wasn't able to calm back down so he gets revved up or he did as he would get revved up he would stay revved up and so I think some of the things that we have learned even just to be aware of self-regulation and to be aware that that is an issue and even just to, 
to talk to him and say, hey, let's take some deep breaths. Like, what can we do to help calm him down? And for him, it's jumping on the trampoline. It's playing basketball. It's wrestling. Really wrestling really, really hard. John can wrestle him. And it, we've taken his heart rate. Um, if he's, you know, a little bit escalated and <laughs> you take his heart rate. And then if John wrestles him really hard, his heart rate actually goes down. Even though he's actually physically working. Yeah. It calms his body. Yeah. It's fascinating. That's really interesting. And also that you don't address what's happening. You go and you wrestle or that's really hard as a parent because usually when your kids are escalating, parents are escalating, you know, they're arguing. And so keeping yourself regulated quickly, I mean, that is something, I mean, you two look very, like very calm parents, but in my household, bringing it back. And saying, okay, this is not really about the issue and this is not about the consequence it is so much bigger than that. And how can we help the child feel safe right now? Nothing is changing. Do what you need to do to get him back down. And then we need to talk about this yeah. behavior because you have to go back to it. And I, th I think sometimes we overlook it or we say, oh, it was so much work to get to this place. Now I have to address the issue. But do you go back and actually say, okay, we do have to talk about this behavior. Yeah. For me, it's if I can remember with four kids in the house. <laughs> right. I know that there's things that go, you know, they just get lost in the chaos. If, you know, there's somebody, somebody else is dysregulated. <laughs> We've got to deal with that one. So, right. Yeah. We need to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about your next adoption. Everybody's saying, what? They adopted again? But this story is such a redeeming story. And just to see God's hand through your family um, stay tuned because you're going to want to hear the last little bit of their story. We're talking with John and Alicia. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670KLTT.com. Hi, this is April from Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm here with my husband, Noah. What does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to adopt? Here at Adoption Now, we're answering those questions. We wanted to start a program to give adoption a voice through storytelling. We want the adoption community to be empowered to share openly what they have experienced. That's right, April, but we need your help. November is National Adoption Month, and we're running a fundraising campaign to keep Adoption Now going and reach more people. Would you partner with us? You can do that by visiting our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking the Donate button. We are a nonprofit, and donations are tax-deductible. Let's return to today's broadcast of Adoption Now. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to John and Alicia, who adopted from Haiti. They had two biological children. They brought home a little boy from Haiti. Um, he had just some issues with trauma. So they've been talking about really parenting a child totally different than parenting a biological child. Their process in being broken down and really letting God teach them and therapists teach them how to reach this child. And in this process, he's four years old. It was four years He's four years old. You think four or five. Yep. Let's adopt again. Let's talk about that process, Alicia. Yes. So I was visiting my parents um, out of state and I was sleeping and Jacob, the one that's adopted, was sleeping next to me. 
And I woke up and I had in my head, it was a dream, kind of vision-ish dream. And it wasn't audible, but it just was impressed on my heart. Felt like God was really saying for me to tell Jacob, Jacob, I have a sister for you in Haiti. And those words just kept running through my mind over and over. I have a sister for you in Haiti. I have a sister for you in Haiti. And that was really the clincher. I, I had been thinking about adopting again, but was really didn't want to do Haiti. And so we'd even talked about private adoption. Um, I did want to bring in another child um, that looked like him. Mm-hmm. I really thought that was important, especially for him. I mean, he's, you know, since five years old, he's been aware of his race and that he looks different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but back to the dream, I felt like God really was saying, you know, no, you don't need to take the easy quicker route. Cause I'm thinking nine months, we could have a baby, you know, like, or a year, you know, if we do it in, in a different way, right. I knew that Haiti would be difficult, but I feel like that, that dream really solidified that if we were going to do it again, we needed to do it through Haiti again. Was there a part of you that was afraid Yes. Because you had brought home a child that needed so, had so many needs. Yes. Very, very afraid. And I don't think that if I hadn't had that dream, I don't know if I would have gone through it. I remember one of my older kids confronting me when I was still talking about infant adoption and just saying, what about your dream, mom? And I was like, yeah. Oh yeah, that. We need to (laughs) listen to God, don't we? (laughs) And so were you thinking about adoption again, John? No, but when she brought it in, brought this time up, I was like, let's do it. Really? Yeah. I had zero. I wanted another little girl, so I, I didn't have a problem with it. Okay, so you started the process again. Were you in Oregon Yeah. as well? No, 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 no. We were here. We were back here, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now you need an agency. Yes. Right? Well, and it was after the earthquake, too. So all the laws changed in Haiti after the 2010 earthquake. Okay, so that paperwork, was it? I mean, totally different. Now you're doing having an agency in your house and yeah. things have changed over there. How long did you wait to be matched this time? The matching process was very similar. It's through the same orphanage. Um, it was a few months. Yeah. But then the wait was... 31 months. 31 oh months my goodness. of waiting for this sweet little girl. Okay, so you were matched right away. How old was she at the time when you were matched? Two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. yeah. What was it like when you saw her picture? Oh my goodness. Oh. We were outside. Half of us were outside playing on the trampoline, and Alicia got the email, and we heard a shriek or something. And my sister was over too, and we came in and saw her, and we're like, "That's our little girl." I mean, it was just immediate. Yeah, it was yeah. really. It was very different. What was her backstory? Um, her backstory is the the earthquake changed her life. Um, birth mom got sick after the earthquake. Um, just complications from the earthquake. And so then birth dad, he was left raising three girls and she was the youngest of the three and he's a farmer and he would have to leave his three girls who were at the time, I mean, one and I'm guessing three and five. So basically the five-year-olds taking care of the three and the one-year-old and he's having to, you know, try to, grow some food, do some work, sell it at the market to pay for, you know, the girls to eat and for him to live. Um, He did that for, if my calculations are right, I think about a year 
um, he loved her and loves her very much. Um, and then he, you know, he just couldn't keep it up. And so he brought her into the orphanage and, um, that's, that's how she got there. It's interesting to me because trauma affects children differently. So her story is not any less traumatic than Jacob's. But sometimes children just bounce back. Sometimes they're angry. It's all different. So it's not the pattern. It can't be explained. And it can't be a one size fits all for every single family. Some families have trauma kids and they're like, they healed so quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, and some are still struggling with their trauma kids. So just because the child has suffered trauma, you really don't know how they're going to respond to it. So she's suffered tremendous loss and gone through an earthquake. Now she's in an orphanage at two and a half and she's waiting for parents. Did they explain to her that parents were coming to get her? Oh yeah, they They did. did. Oh my goodness. So there's the orphanage um, that we went through. They have a baby house and then they have what they call the toddler house and the top, you know, it's about two and a half year olds up through their oldest kid, which is probably a preteen and those kids are, they're loved and they're prepped and they talk about everything. And yeah, they knew. She knew. Tell me a little bit about the story. You have a great story about there was a caregiver there that took care of her. Yes. Yeah. So when she came in, actually, she was sick. And so she needed to have more one-on-one attention. So she lives with um, two ladies that, that worked there. Um, one of them is named Joyce and Joyce just fell in love with her and really kind of really, she became like her own kid. Um, so anyway, I just think it's so cool that because she was sick, she was forced to stay in the room with her and then Joyce really connected with her and attached to her. And I think that that's one of the things that has helped her ease into a family situation is that when Jacob came home, he had the expectation that he would be rejected. When Elle came home, she had the expectation that she would be loved because she had experienced it. First of all, I know um, from what we have heard from birth dad that birth mom was very loving. And then birth dad is very loving. And then she had Joyce, who was very loving. Like she was always loved. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she has had to transfer caregivers, which was is devastating. And she does have scars from that, definitely. But she was prepared to be loved and knew that's just what she expected. She knows she's safe and she knows she's loved. And Joyce was uh, Canadian, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a woman. So she's used to seeing um, a white caregiver. And I know that's that's an interesting, I mean, it's kind of, we talk about that a lot because sometimes these children have never seen a white person. And so this white lady comes and says, I'm your mom. (laughs) And they're horrified, first of all, because they're seeing something they've never seen before. And secondly, they don't know you. They don't know anything about you. And so she was cared for by this woman that was put in her life. So she was, you know, used to that and used to that type of care. I think that that's very interesting. When you say Joyce, I thought maybe she was Haitian, but Mm -hmm. no, she was. Yeah. And after... After a little bit, she didn't stay in their room very long. Mm-hmm. Once she was healthy, then um, they had her, they made sure that she went back and um, was with the other kids. And so then she had Haitian nannies that were taking care of her. But Joyce was there, right? Um, you know, taking care of her too. She was her teacher, and she was with her every day. Um, so she had, you know, she had to be mainstreamed, which we have photos of. And she's very was very unhappy when. She, she made the transition. Yeah, she made the transition from like the princess of the orphanage back to being a normal kid. Aw. Okay, John, 31 months you have to wait. 
why and how were you dealing with that? Uh, I, I don't know why. Um, it's unnecessary. And uh, how we dealt with it is some days were a lot better than others. And we had an anticipation, um, expectation of 18 months because we'd done it before. And we thought, we've done Haiti before. We've done this orphanage before. We know what it's going to take. We know how long it's going to take. And none of that was the case. Um, a month before we brought her home, which was 30 months, there was a complication of a signature not being done. And then they accused us of having it falsified. And it rocked us. Like, they were threatening to completely shut it down because we had had a document falsified, which was completely untrue. And uh, we had, I don't know, it was probably 48 to 72 hours where we didn't think we were going to bring Elle home. Um, it was... Difficult. Very difficult. Really, yeah, it was yeah. really hard. It was also hard. Um, there was a group of us from Denver that all started the process about the same time. And um, out of the four kids that were coming home to Denver, three of those kids came home a year before Elle did. And so it was very painful to watch these three kids come home and have this amazing thing. And then we sat for another year and waited, even though we all started at the same time. It was incredibly painful. I do say, looking back, watching it, I know God was taking care of her. And I know that um, the care that she got was remarkable for an orphanage. And I mean, now... In hindsight, I can say she's okay, and she was okay, but it was so painful. It was so painful. It's interesting to me that um, you talked about being accused of something. We also were in the foster care system. We were doing a private infant adoption, and in the process, um, the birth mother, we found out that she was abusing him, but she didn't want us to know. And she turned on us, and the state started to question us, and it's just the craziest feeling to be in this and to be a family that people know. And all of a sudden you're being accused of, of falsifying things or doing, and your head is just swirling. Like this can't be happening to us, you know, and God brings you through. So maybe if you're in that situation and you feel that you're being thrown up against the wall, God will be your advocate. Just keep praying and believing and um, just keep pushing forward because you did get on a plane and you went to go get her. What was that like when you saw her for the first time? Well, you know what? This time with, after the earthquake, like I said, the laws were different. So we had to do a trip where we met her. Um, okay. The government requires that you go. I know. But then you had to leave her? Oh, yeah. We had to leave her. Oh, my goodness. So, right? They're not aware of mental health and emotional things, right? Like, they just like, well, maybe this will be a good idea. For no. her and us. Right. I mean, it's so devastating right. for her. I mean, but they did everything they could to prep her. She knew it was going to be short. She stayed in her school. She did not stay in the room with us, you know, while we were there for those days. The first time. Yeah, the first time. Mm -hmm. So she knew that we weren't coming to get her to take her home. She knew we were just coming to visit. But so then when we get there, we brought all the kids. So five of us went to Haiti and six of us came home. And it was wild. It was it was amazing. It was so cool. And it was so amazing to bring Jacob back. I do feel like that was one of the places where he began to heal. Really? Oh, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. He said, I'm so glad you brought me here. It all makes sense now. Oh, he I got love to see that. the crib that he was in. 
see his nannies. He got, he got to, to meet nannies, the nannies that took care of him when he was a baby. in with all of his new friends playing football. And here's, it, it was just amazing. Just living where we live, where it's so predominantly white, I think so healing for him to just look like everybody else. In Haiti, he wasn't with us very much. He was in the yard playing football and playing with these kids from the time he got up till dinner time. It was, it was so neat. Yeah, he loved it. It was really amazing. That's really brave of you to take him back. In my mind, I'd be thinking, um, will this traumatize him more? Mm-hmm. Seeing it will hit just trigger and trigger. But no, in this yeah. case, it it was healing. Yeah, we both had peace about it. I didn't feel nervous about it. Just where he was at by then. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like it was important. He was in an emotionally stable enough state that he wasn't. I mean, there was times where he would just check out we went to the house and he was on the patio where he used to play, where we would, we have pictures and videos of us, of us there. And there was a time where he checked out and I saw it, but I mean, we talked and we, we talk still and you know, like he worked through it. He was able to cope with it and it became a healing situation. That's amazing. So you bring Elle home and what is she like home? The first three weeks were rough. She is terrified of dogs because in Haiti, That's dogs right. are not dogs. Right. Dogs are not dangerous and they're wild. <laughs> So her first three weeks or so were up on our our kitchen. Every countertop. All the countertops. I had to she would carry not get on the floor. Because we have two dogs. It was absolutely horrible because everything you, I mean, you don't, it was crazy. Um, it, it was an unbelievable. Were you thinking maybe we should get rid of the dogs? Yeah. I think we actually did. If I was, I think I gave her an ultimatum. If this takes two months, I'm done. We're getting rid of the dogs. Because it was, it was, it was horrible. Not three weeks. It was six weeks. Okay. It was terrible. Me, it was a long time. Of me carrying her everywhere. And she climbed up on top of me. You know, I'm trying to carry her, you know, like you would a kid. And she's terrified. So she's pulling my hair and trying to climb to get like on top of my head, get away from the dogs as, as far as she can. <laughs> she's good now. Okay. So she was about five when you brought her home. Yeah. And how did she respond to being in a family? And how did Jacob do? I think she did yeah. very well. Um, and Jacob, Jacob seemed to have done did he did pretty well too? I think. Yeah, I just the, I just remember the the dog situation <laughs> as being horrible. And then we started dealing with you know there's a honeymoon period with adoption where the kid seems to be doing right great, and you're like, oh, this is going to be so easy. And then maybe about the same time, the dogs got better with her then her some of the behavior that we had start working through started coming through with um different different situations so anyway yeah, yeah. big emotions did you feel more prepared this time to parent her because oh, of what yes. you had been through yeah. right and i think that that's part of it because somebody else has said to me if you never had jacob and if he hadn't prepared you don't you think you'd be thrown by her behavior and i think that we would have been yeah. thrown by it yeah. but now it it's exhausting and it can be irritating some of the behaviors and the dysregulation and the just the huge emotions just big huge emotions but it doesn't throw us and hers are much quicker yeah she's able to regulate right quicker where jacob it could go on for a long time i don't even know because it feels like an eternity when you're in it i would guess an hour when he was little for her it's you know five to 15 minutes of breakdowns and and then she's able to you know pull it back together and then we move on how are the biological kids doing with both adoptions and how did Al take to the older kids yes that's pretty sweet I mean there's such a difference so let's see 16 15 and 
now seven. So that difference in age, um, they just think she's just so cute. a dream, mm-hmm. right? And you can't, it's hard to fight with somebody that that's that much younger than you. So they do really well with her. I mean, they get annoyed because of the drama sometimes, but yeah, it's pretty beautiful. It's, it's cool. What would you say to a family that said, uh, we're just starting the process? What's your advice for us? I, I mean, I would obviously pray about it because it's got to be a God thing. Otherwise, it can tear you apart, your family. Um, but I also think you've got to be aware and uh, ready to ask for help and get counseling um, because it, you, you, can't, you can't do it on your own power. And you, you've got to have a, some assistance from adapting and learning how to deal with trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think the, the humility to say, maybe I don't have the answers. I, I see um, families that are struggling and continue to struggle because they will not change. They're so set in this is how I'm going to do it. And they won't change and they won't ask for help. And that's really, really sad. I think the other thing too is getting involved in groups, community, like, uh, friendships. Uh, Alicia's yeah. got a set of friends that all have adoptive kids and they get each other and it's all at different times. And one mom will have a tough time and they all get it. There's no judgment and uh, they feel open to talk about it. And I think that's been since we've been back in Colorado, that's been huge for Alicia. I think that when you go through a hard time, you you tend to pull back, especially as women um, and families, because all of a sudden you've changed your dynamic so completely that you don't look the way you thought you should look. You don't feel the same in public. Everything's changed, mm-hmm. especially becoming an interracial yeah. family. People stare. Just and all your the kids time. have behaviors that you can't explain. And you as a mom, you're like, Oh, you know, if you are counting on your children to make you look good as an adoptive parent, it's probably not going to happen anymore. <laughs> They're um, cute. And there's moments. You know they what? do. Yeah. I'm not saying there that. There are moments. But, Christmas card moments. Yes. But a lot of times something will happen. And, you know, you've, I think before you feel like you need to explain to people. And now you just, you become more um, just secure. You have to in who you are and it's hard to do that alone and so when you have other women around you that say you're doing awesome who cares Mm -hmm. what the public is saying you're doing great we get you do you need a break um you know do you need do you need time I mean all those things I didn't realize how important community was and really starting the show has taught me so much about community and learning different aspects of parenting you know being creative and going outside the box and letting God take you to really uncomfortable places wouldn't you say that God um has totally changed even your perception of who he is yeah because I mean he adopted us we weren't deserving necessarily, right? And, and we embarrass him. Yeah, we embarrass <laughs> him, and yet he still loves us, and there's no judgment on us, you know? Um, and I think our kids are the same way, you know? We, we love these kids unconditionally, and it's just a small fraction of what, what God's done for us. So I, I think that you grasp that a little bit more when you've adopted. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. It's such an honor to hear your story. You're our first Haiti story. So we're excited. If you um, would like to hear any other stories, you can find us on iTunes under Adoption Now. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. I'm April Fallon with Adoption Now. We'll see you next week.
Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.